So Friday night we did our Good Friday service, and it was cool. One of my friends said I looked like a Jedi because I was wearing. I was sweet. What do I got to do again to do that? You know, I was wearing like this this black hoodie and stuff, and and then uh, so I, was, I bought this shirt like three months ago on the sale rack for like five bucks. You know how hard it is to find a white shirt on a sale rack that doesn't have like a big like stain across the front, or you know sleeves that's like you know one's up here and one's down here, and that's why it's on. He's like. That's why it's on the sale rack. So I found this. So I bought it for five bucks. I want to wear that on Easter. So I'm like, what am I going to wear on Saturday night? So I wore this gray shirt because it's like between Saturday. <laughs> it made sense to me. It did. I also, I also promised, because uh, my dad sent me this thing about, there are apparently a lot of churches doing 420 jokes today. We will not do any. I, said, I mentioned that last night, and this whole row of people went, what? So, if you don't know, that's a good thing. You are blessed. Go with Jesus. Wonderful. Uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the community tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. In Uversion, you click on Live. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get the uh, sermon notes, the verses, and the questions that go along with today's message. And what's really interesting about Uversion is at our Good Friday service, we had a guy that showed up because he was driving by, and it popped up on his phone. And he's all, huh. So he looked at our message from last week in the notes, and he goes, well, it sounds like they like Jesus. And so he actually came to our Good Friday service. I'm like, look at that. Uversion. Amazing. Yeah. Anyway, why don't you stand? No, no, it wasn't that. I was just got Sammy reading God's word. I was gonna, I was gonna make a joke about smartphones, but it's okay. All right. Um, this is Hebrews chapter four, verses nine and ten, and it says, "So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his." Let's pray, Father. This morning, I ask that we, as your people, would understand what it means to live and rest in the works that you have done for us. That we would be those who trust you and love you in ways that the entire world would know of your goodness and your grace as extended to your people. Amen. Have a seat. All right. So, Easter services, you know, if you say welcome and we say, why are you here? You know, 50% of the time when someone asks you a question in the church, what's the answer? Right. But you're Easter, so what's the other half of that? Resurrection. There will be a test later. All right. I, so, yeah, anyway, I, I know some guys who are like, I'm here because my, my spouse made me come, or I'm here because my parents made me come, or something like that. But since you are here, the reason Element is here is we're here to talk about Jesus, and since it is Easter, we will also talk about resurrection. Uh, there are so many ramifications to what resurrection of, means and, and this idea. And so, But if you want proofs of the person of Christ and who he was and when he lived, or the proofs of the resurrection, you can go back to last month's Element U on our website, ourelement.org, and we went over this and the proofs of what that is. But when you come to Easter, most people think, oh, it's a very spiritual thing. And it is, but it also has a lot to do with real world meaning and applications today. This is why at Element, when we talk about resurrection at Easter, we talk about so much more. Last year, when at uh, Easter, we talked about the theology of Easter and what resurrection and ascension really meant. Two years ago, we talked about how God 
passed the threshold of the temple and he had gone out into the world. I illustrated this by throwing water on all of you. I will not do that this year. I promise there will be no Gallagher moments this morning. Uh, in 2000, oh, finally, someone gets my humor. Okay. In 2010, uh, we talked about God's glory. Uh, we talked about this also on Friday night, uh, that God is who he is and the weight and the majesty of who he is should matter to our lives today because how God sees the world is how the world really is. Now, this year, I'm going to give you something really practical. But even though we talk about a practical thing, you can never forget that the whole idea of Eastern Resurrection centers on the gospel. That we are a people who are always wanting to do our own thing. We always think that we know better than God how to live our own lives. And so we're constantly running from who He is. But God, in His great goodness and grace, has sought us out. He sent Jesus to come and die for us for these sins of our rebellion that have separated us from Him. And so Jesus comes, and He takes away our sin, and He rises from the grave after He is crucified on Easter and resurrection, what we celebrate, so that we can become alive again and have relationship with God, but also relationships with each other. But this also has some very practical meanings in our lives today. And so, you know, if you leave here today, you may not even think you've been to an Easter service because it's going to be so practical. I mean, other than the fact that you've actually been inside this building and, and, and things like that. I mean, every year I ask myself, if there are just a couple people in this room that I get once or twice a year, what can I reinforce to help people understand the great grace of Jesus? And this year I thought, Sabbath. And you're going, what? Okay, so, you know, you're going, Black Sabbath? Sweet, what? Yeah. I was actually in a store this week, and there's this guy, he had a shirt, no, no logos on or anything, just this thing right across his chest, and it said, listen to Black Sabbath. I was like, okay, interesting. Uh, That's not Black Sabbath, not what we're talking about. And so when we finish today, and you'll understand Sabbath so much better, I hope you will also see that, number one, Jesus is once again totally amazing. Secondly, you and I, we are total tools. And thirdly, the gospel isn't just someday, somewhere out there. It is relevant to here and now. Now, this idea of Sabbath, it, the word means to rest. The word means to rest. comes all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2, and really in the end has everything to do with the idea of resurrection. If you read the scriptures, you will see one of the main ways that God made us as people is that he made us to work and to rest. It's like a rhythm. If you're like one of those Xbox boys, that's more work than rest. Just letting you know in case you didn't know. Genesis 2.3, it says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so when we went through the book of Genesis a couple years ago, I talked to you about how the garden was a picture of the temple. And in the Genesis account of creation, it shows us the spirit of the one true God orders all of creation. And over these seven days of creation, what God does is he makes seven speeches. And the final speech that God gives is he ordains Sabbath as a holy day, at what we would call a holiday. God makes a holiday and he sets it apart. The writer of Genesis deliberately uses language that would be used by a king because God is placed in a royal role. And what does God say? Genesis 1-3, let there be light and there was light. And that's how a king would reign, by royal proclamation. Let there be taxes and there were taxes. Let there be Obamacare and there was Obamacare. You know, <laughs> that's how he reigned. So God is portrayed as a sovereign king, not an earthly king. And then we are told on the seventh day that God finished what he had been doing and God decrees rest. That's what he decrees. And what this tells you is that God does his work until it is done. Genesis 1 and 2 starts to tell you that God's work that he does there is actually us. In the New Testament, Philippians 1, 6, the Apostle Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the idea that God starts the work and God finishes the work that he has been doing. 
And so the beginning of Genesis 2 and the idea of Sabbath and rest is not a picture of God coming home and throwing his coat on the floor and grabbing the remote and vegging out as he watches like pawn stars or something. That's not what it is. It means that when God came in, he took time to enjoy the, his creation and the things that he did. It wasn't God working six days and going, oh, I pulled something in my back, i got to go lay down. It was God coming and enjoying the creation that he had made. And so the scriptures set this up. Work six, rest one. Work, rest, work, rest. It's a rhythm. And God sets this up because it is important for you and I to know what work and to rest really means. Now, in the ancient world, God's resting in temples was nothing new. Every god rested in a temple. And people would bring things to these gods to try and make sure they were appeased. They would bring them food to these gods. They would sacrifice virgins to these gods. But in Genesis 1 and 2, you see that the God of the Scriptures is completely different. This is, again, how we know that this God wasn't made up. Because the God of the Scriptures is the one who provides for his people. He gives them land. He gives them food. He gives Adam a naked woman. Sweet. He, and, and again, you know, he gives Eve a, a, a naked man, but I'm sure Adam was much more excited about the naked woman, but, you know, okay. In Acts 17, verses 24 and 25, the Apostle Paul reminds us that the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This is the idea that God doesn't need us. We need him. In the Genesis account, when God rests, it's a picture that he has done a great work. And he doesn't rest by doing nothing. He rests by taking care and blessing his people. And so the Genesis narrative is meant to show that the one true God has effortlessly made everything that we know. He has triumphed over all the chaos from Genesis 1-2. God brings beauty and order. And the picture becomes the earth as God's temple and mankind as his priest stewarding that temple. And as we talked about on Christmas Eve, that God has invaded the earth. And so the seventh day wasn't necessarily a vacation day. It's not about taking 20-minute power naps. It really becomes the whole reason for those first six days. Every day you read is, you know, every day is evening and morning, day one, evening and morning, day two, evening and morning, day three. You get to the seventh day, and this is what it says in Genesis 2, and God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. There is no evening and morning, which is the idea that it wasn't supposed to come to an end. It is God ruling and reigning, which brings rest to his people. That's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to pray that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, because part of that is the understanding of Sabbath and rest. And it's really a beautiful picture, this idea of Sabbath and rest. But there is something that interrupts that Sabbath, because we don't really live and experience that today. What, this is like the other thing that when people ask you a question in churches, you know, what's the answer? What interrupts that rest? Sin. There, that's the other word you hear in church a lot, right? There you go. Sin. Sin is what interrupts that. Our rebellion against a good and holy God who gave us rest. I really think in my humble opinion, which is right, okay, <laughs> that a lot of things are messed up today because we don't understand the gospel and how it relates to work and to rest. So I'm going to give you four things this morning about what rest and work actually are. The first one is this. Rest does not mean zero work. Rest does not mean zero work. Too many people never rest in the natural cycle God intend. Some others never work. And you need to. And you need to. Paul says we're supposed to work as if we're serving Christ, which should make you ask the question, who is your God? If you work all the time, your job is. If you never work, you are. We live in the middle of this tension of work and rest. And it's really weird. A lot of times when I talk about work, I will actually get hate email. I should let you see them sometimes. They're actually kind of funny. But it only works against you. When I get hate email, I go, that must have been a good sermon. 
if you don't want me to preach it again, be like, oh, hey, that was great and wonderful. I'll be like, oh, I didn't really offend anybody, so it wasn't good enough. You know, that, that, you think I'm joking. I'm dead serious. You know, when, when you work in your life and you go into the workforce, you will spend upwards of 100,000 hours of your life at work. That is an enormous part of your life, which means it should connect to Jesus because he is over all. Our work and rest should be part of God's work in the world. Open your Bibles to John chapter 5 if you have them. Now, this is the idea that we work because our God works and we are created in his image. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals a man at a pool. I know when I say pool, you got YMCA stuck in your head. Don't think of the YMCA, okay? Uh, Jesus is going to heal this guy. It's going to be a Sabbath day. And because God decreed Sabbath and rest, what they did was they took all kinds of rules and laid it upon the Sabbath. This is what you could do. This is what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. One of the things you couldn't do is heal somebody on the Sabbath. And so what Jesus does, he heals this guy, they confront him. How dare you make somebody better today? You should do it tomorrow. And this is Jesus' response on the Sabbath, John 5, 17. It says, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. People say, what is God doing even today? You know what God's doing? Working. That's what he's doing. That's what Jesus just said. I mean, God the Father is working, so is Jesus. Genesis 2 shows us that man was created for work. It is good. God intends for his people to work hard and well. Jesus works as one with the Father. In John 17, 11, Jesus prays that they, that's us, may be one as we, that's he and the Father, are one. Part of our oneness would be the understanding of how we, in obedience, we work and we rest. So when I talk about rest and Sabbath, I am not talking about not working. Our problem seems to be what we always do with the idea of grace. We think we're saved and then we just rest on our rear ends and wait for heaven. No. The purpose of redemption, part of it was to get us back to who we were made to be. The idea to get us back to creation, that all life was good, life with God is even better. And how work and rest interacts together. And then we begin working, in a sense, to bring about God's kingdom here and now by our actions and by our lives. And in America, we get really confused about what work is because we think we're working all the time, but we're not. We're really just busy all the time. And again, and this isn't to knock you if this is you, but some people only show up for, you know, church on like Christmas and Easter and things like that because they see it as work. I got to get up, got to get the kids, got to get in the car. Gotta, it's like all this work you got to do. That's not what work is. You know, most people understand today that the world is beyond our control. And I would say that's a good thing that we understand that. But we really don't like it. So a lot of people work really, really hard to control everything in their lives. You know, their home, their neighborhoods, their jobs. You know, they're trying to control everything around them so they can you know exactly what's supposed to take place. That is not work. That is not understanding what work and rest is. And this is why the Sabbath was amazing, because God kept bringing the idea of Sabbath back to his people. He's like, you must understand this. It, you were supposed to rest and trust God every day for who he was, but take a special day and set it aside and realize you can trust God to take care of it. You don't have to have your hands on everything all the time. In Israel, they were the only country that had a Sabbath because only Israel believed that they served a God who was truly in control. No one else would give up a day of potential economic gain in order to trust their God more. I mean, other countries, they had temples and gods and sacrifices, but nobody had a Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10, God says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your manservant or maidservant nor your animals nor the alien within your gates. So on the Sabbath, even your animals got the day off. Now, this is how we know cats are evil, because cats take every day off, okay? <laughs> Just throwing it out there and being honest, all right? Secondly, true rest is found in Jesus, who secured our rest and is God over all creation. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. 
This is really interesting. When Jesus starts his public ministry to go out and and start preaching the good news, he does this first by going into the temple, into his hometown. He opens the scroll of Isaiah. And in Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, this is what Jesus reads to start his public ministry. Jesus reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set liberty, that's the word freedom, those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what Jesus does here is he reads about what's called the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. It was every 49 years, seven times seven years. And during that year, if your family had to sell its land because it couldn't afford to feed itself or pay its debts, every 49 years, your family got its land back. If you had to sell yourself into indentured servitude because of maybe debts that you have, you're trying to take care of your family and you can't feed them, you would then, every 49 years, they would set everyone Free. It's called the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, the, the word favor in Hebrew is the word grace. And so Jesus starts this way by saying the Sabbath, you know, every seven days, you know, and then you had like seven years and seven times seven years, year of Jubilee. By starting this, what Jesus is saying, the Sabbath is all about me. It's pointing all to him. And this is one of the reasons the religious leaders always battle against Jesus. They say, oh, you're violating the Sabbath because to the Jews, it was all about things you did. You know, you, you work really hard to show how holy that you are. But to Jesus, to God, the idea of the Sabbath was a life lived resting under the care of a God who watched over us, who loved and cared for his people. The most important thing about the Sabbath command was this idea that the Sabbath day is a day to the Lord your God. That's what was important. This is, again, why the book of Hebrew tells us, the verse that we started with, that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. To say that more succinctly and understandable means the most important thing about the Sabbath command is that we should rest in Christ alone for our salvation. That's what it means. You don't have to work to make God love you. You don't have to work to make God like you. God does love you. He sent his son to die for you and raise to new life to bring you back to life again so he can have relationship with you. I mean, it's one of the reasons that we gather corporately together on a Sunday or on an Easter and trust God enough that we can rest from our daily labors at times. The scriptures are clear that God has made us as a people needing regular times of rest, spiritual and physical. He built into the creation order this idea of Sabbath, this rhythm. In Matthew 20 or Matthew 2, verse 27, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God's desire for the Sabbath is not four snaps. It is simply a gift to his people. Kevin DeYoung calls it an island of get-to in a sea of all of our have-tos. The third thing, Sabbath is a test or a, or a help for all of God's people. And I would say in its idea of this test that we, we must come to trust God's work more than our own work. And if you go weeks or months without any time off, I mean, Jesus fulfills the law. So you're probably not disobeying a fourth commandment, but you're probably too convinced of your own self-importance. You need a rhythm of rest and work. I mean, honestly, I'm one of these people who think that work is good, leisure is bad. I work all the time. My wife always says, I need to take more time off. Even if we go on vacation, I usually take like the first five days and I pace. I'm like, what are you doing? I don't know. I can't stop. I don't know what to do. You know, I, I've, I've got issues. I know. I'm, I'm working on it. Uh, in Proverbs 6, 6, Matthew 25, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 Thessalonians 4, it extols the value of work. And what he essentially says is there's a lot of people who claim they work, and it says they need to shut up and actually start working. They need to get off their butt and go do something. But in Exodus 28 through 11 and Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, Psalm 127, verse 2, it extols the virtue of rest. 
that they both have a place in the rhythm of how God made us. I mean, there's a lot of people today, and they feel very overwhelmed. But we're really not as busy as we think. We just have no rhythm. Studies are now being shown that show one of the dangers of modern technology is that work and rest have blended together into like this mush. It's kind of like if you ever get like M&M ice cream, and it starts to melt. Some little kid must like it. Uh, You know, it starts to melt in the bottom of the bowl, and it all just turns into one color. You don't even know what the color is. It's like, I don't know what that is, but it's like... It's like, that, that's what work and rest have done. It all just kind of mixes together. We can't even tell what it is anymore. We become so addicted to our technology that we always feel like we are on. We never get to shut off. I mean, do you check your Facebook and your email when you wake up in the morning? Do you check it right before you go to bed at night? All the way back in 1979, there's a guy named Richard Newhouse, and he writes this book called Freedom for Ministry. And he starts trying to call people's attention to what's going to happen with electronics as they grow and grow. He said they're going to make us feel like we are always working. He says we're going to become listless, not because we're always busy with, say, our hobbies or things like that, but we just become busy with busyness because we're never able to shut off. I mean, do you feel busy all the time and listless at the same time? That's a life without understanding the Sabbath rest that Jesus provides for his people in the idea of resurrection and Sabbath. The rhythm is trusting God to be ruler and God over all of creation, including our lives, so we don't have to be. That means you can turn off your iPad. You can turn off your cell phone. You can do all those things. The Israelite calendar had times for feasting and fasting both. It was for piety and productivity both. God put them on a pattern of daily, weekly, monthly, seasonal, annual, and multi-year rhythms. You know, for us, evening and morning have all just blended together. To us, feasting and fasting all sounds the same. It's why we eat garbage ordered through a little speaker prepared by a high school kid in a nasty little kitchen handed to you throughout a window when you eat it in your car. That's not how it was meant to be. Oh, it's a red light. Green. That's not how it was meant to be. See, you all know what I'm talking about. And you got Taco Bell on you, and you're like, oh, man, what am I going to do with that? According to a 2004 study, we are getting two and a half hours fewer sleep than people did 100 years ago. The Center for Disease Control now actually tracks this. They show 40 million Americans right now get fewer than six hours of sleep per night. They track it because we are always bragging about how busy we are and look how much I actually work. But what it does is it actually leads to higher instances of obesity and diabetes. I mean, we think it's godly to forget sleep and just go find more and more and more work. But God made us the way that he did to need rest. And when we don't rest, we don't just damage our bodies, we actually damage our souls. God made us as a people to be finite and fragile. He made us to spend one-third of our lives doing nothing, nothing but relying upon him. When you go to sleep at night, you can no longer control everything around you. You have to let it go. You have to. And God made us to be that way. You've got to understand that God's going to be okay without you. He doesn't need you. You need him. And when we don't sleep, all we're doing is borrowing time. You're not really gaining any because, you know, you eventually are going to crash, whether metaphorically or or literally. You know, maybe not at work, but you're probably going to snap at people at home, maybe in your friendships. And then you're going to spend days and weeks and months trying to repair those friendships. You didn't gain any time. D.A. Carson is an an older Christian, really smart guy. You've got to listen to your elders sometimes. And D.A. Carson says this. He says, sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Not pray all night, but sleep. And guys, look, I know it's easier for those without kids, you know, to get a good night's sleep. But you really can hit the pillow sooner. You know, play one less level of Candy Crush. You can do that. Check your email one less time. Forget the evening news. Forget Facebook. 
Oh, but you know what? I got kids. Put your kids to bed. The kids will be like, oh, but they'll be better in the morning because they got more sleep. It'll be good. I mean, and believe it or not, I'll tell you, rest really is hard work. Because it's really hard to let go and to trust God. Because when you shut everything off and you've just got to deal with you and what's going on inside of here, it really reveals some things about you. Peter Kreeft writes this. He says, we want to complexify our lives. We don't have to. We want to. We want to be harried and hassled and busy. Unconsciously, we want the very things we complain about. For if we had leisure, we would look at ourselves and listen to our hearts and see the gaping hole in our hearts and be terrified. Because the hole is so big that nothing but God can fill it. Point number four, which is really point number two, we need the rest only Jesus can provide, which is the idea of Easter and resurrection. Wherever Jesus was, Sabbath was and Sabbath is. Anybody who said Jesus violated the Sabbath command was wrong because Jesus couldn't violate the Sabbath because the Sabbath was all pointing to him and life in the kingdom of God. And when he says, you know, you pray, God, bring your will to earth as it is in heaven, that is lives unburdened by sin and death and the weight that we carry around, the weight of trying to make ourselves acceptable the weight of trying to do all these things to make ourselves perfect and realizing that we can never do it. And we rest our lives in Christ's hands. This is why Jesus said in Mark 20, 28, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. When the writer of Hebrews says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, that is not just leisure and time off. That's rest for our souls because of resurrection. It means we get to stop carrying the burden of having to do it all. It is a life of a surrendered spirit under the love of God. In Hebrews 4.11, it goes on, the writer says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Kind of sounds like an oxymoron, right? You're supposed to rest, but you've got to strive to enter the rest. How does that actually work? Let me see if I can explain this for you. Uh, today, people want to argue over what day the Sabbath is. Oh, you know, we've got to pick a day, and this is the day the Sabbath is. What can you do with what you can't? And if you are a legalist and bound up by these type of ideas, it can be really, really hard for you to figure out. You know, some people uh, have even said that the mark of the beast is to worship on Sunday because the Jews were actually worshiping on Saturday. So you worship on Sunday, mark of the beast... You're all going to hell, apparently. Okay, there you go. You know, last night at our, I guess it wasn't funny. Okay, so last night <clears throat> at our Saturday night service, I told everybody, see, look, you passed the test because it's Saturday night. But see, apparently you guys have the mark of the beast. Whatever. So anyway, um, so <clears throat> other people understand the truth and say, no, no, no. Because Jesus died and rose from the dead, it, it can be any day. You just pick a day. That's not nearly the truth. The truth is every day is our Sabbath rest. Every day we rest in Christ for our salvation. Every day we get to stop trying so hard to make God love us. Because he simply does. But in that, we should also pick some time we could take rest and take time off so we can focus better on who God is. Now, today people say, was that Saturday or Sunday? You know, for, for Jews, it was Saturday. Christians say, oh, it's Sunday. In Romans 14, Paul says simply, whatever. You know, in America, they couldn't decide, so they gave us both. And we said, thank you, Jesus. Amen. We'll take the weekend. You know? <laughs> The idea of of Sabbath for us, you know, it is the idea of rest and worship, living the gospel in tangible ways. Trusting Jesus. So if you take a day off, you don't need to be a legalistic about it. You know, can you mow your lawn? Sure, mow your lawn. Can you play ball? Great. Play ball. The Sabbath was made for you to rest and enjoy it. I mean, if you like mowing lawns so much, come mow mine. Okay? I will put my lawnmower out there. You can do it all day long. Have, have fun at it. You know, can your friends come over and watch the game? Sure, your friends come over and watch the game. It's, it's, it's a great thing. Do you have to go to church? I know you what you think I'm going to say. No, you don't. You don't. You don't, but you should. Okay. <laughs> because if we're set time setting aside a time, we want to get together corporately with God's people and worship Him together and understand the things that He wants to say to us. I think it's really important that God has given us so much. We must learn how to stop, and sometimes you've got to strive to stop, and you learn to enjoy it. I mean, you've got a home. Enjoy the home God has given you. 
And if you've got a bed you curl up in at night, you know, some, just curl you know, Oh, this bed, thank you, Jesus. If your bed sucks, go get another one. You know, and then find one you like and curl up in that and, and totally enjoy it and thank God for it. If you've got, like, animals and, and pets, play with them. They're like, my dog just barks in the backyard all the time. Spend some time with the dumb thing and it probably won't, you know. If you're married, you got a special love on your spouse. You know, hey, honey, what do you want to do? Well, I want to do this. And do it. Be a servant to them. Love on them. I, I tell my wife this, and she won't listen to me because I keep saying I want to go see a Lego movie, and she wouldn't go see it with me. <laughs> we had this, here's the funny thing. It's about midnight two nights ago. We were having this, this talk about sometimes when I talk about her at service. And she goes, she goes, you always say really nice things about me. And I go, okay, I'll say something mean. There you go. <laughs> but the idea, these, these are, I went to see Divergent with her. Catching fire and all those girly things. Because I love her. These, but what these are, these are all sacred moments that God gives us because he is so good. God made you to work. You work hard. He made you to rest. You rest well. Understanding the idea of Sabbath teaches us about Jesus. We're not worshiping ourselves. We're not worshiping our jobs. We worship Him. This is why Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We work so hard trying to find a place where our souls can find rest. And Jesus says, you will only find that in me. So come to me. You no longer have to struggle to know that you are loved. I mean, the point of resurrection is salvation in him, surrendering in his rest, because Jesus did not get out of the grave for you to kill yourself trying to work all the time. He rose so you and I could truly experience his rest. I'll give you four quick things and reasons to Sabbath. Number one, Sabbath rest refreshes your whole self. When we Sabbath, we lay aside all the burdens of our lives, demands and pressures, and intentionally enter into a season of rest from our work. Secondly, Sabbath rest refreshes our hearts towards God. This is really important. Understanding true Sabbath and what that means recalibrates our hearts to God relationally, relationally. In Sabbath, we, we take time off and we, and we thank God for all the gifts that we have. It helps us actually attune our lives and our minds much better to who God is and what he's doing in our lives. I mean, what, what can you do? You know, pray, read some scripture, read a devotional book, take a contemplative walk, play with your kids, you know, go see a movie, like the Lego movie. <laughs> love on your spouse. Love on your spouse. Love on your spouse. You're such a great gift. My wife's working today, so I'll do that later. Number three. Sabbath rest reorients our lives to grace. It reorients our lives to grace. Deuteronomy 5, the Sabbath command is rooted in the idea of salvation. And when we rest, we remember it's not my work that saves me, it's Christ's work that saves me. We can rest from all of our work because our value, our meaning, our identity, our job are not rooted in what we do or what we accomplish, but rather in what Christ has accomplished for us, to save us. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He is our rest from working to earn God's favor and a constant effort to try and come up with our own identity. Fourthly, Sabbath rest refreshes our hope. See, this idea of rest fuses hope into us because it reminds us that we are part of God's story. It's not our story we invite God into. It is God's story that he is writing and he invites us into his story. And this story includes a glorious future that he brings about even today. He unleashes this in our present. We've got to be a people who heed God's warning to work and to rest in rhythm. And I'll tell you, hopefully in that rhythm, if you're like a you know, once-a-year person that, that goes to church service, hopefully throughout the year you'll find a little more rest and we'll see you a little bit more. Because resurrection is amazing. And we want to say to you, Happy Easter. And this idea of rest, I'll tell you, the older you get, the more important it becomes. 
really does. Because for some reason, when you get older, you wake up at 5 a.m., you have no idea why. It's like, I beat the birds up. There's something wrong with me. You know? We are told that heaven is the ultimate Sabbath, which who should practice for it here? God made the blessed seventh day, made it holy, set it apart, called it a holiday, because on it, God rested from all his work he had done in creation. This is work, rest, worship, resurrection. It is very practical to our lives. And really, the question comes down to, do you feel like your life is dead? Do you feel like your life is listless and busy just all the time? You must understand resurrection and rest and what that means, because your whole life will be reoriented when you understand that. That's why we come to communion every single week. Communion is the place where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. So all the stuff that separated us from God can be taken away. Our sins are removed. He raises us to life to raise us to life so we can be a people who have a relationship with him again because our God is simply that good to us. The band's going to come up. They'll do a couple songs, and as they do, we invite you to take communion. Uh, there'll be some uh, deacons and elders in the back. And if you guys need prayer for anything, I mean, maybe in your life right now, you're really feeling like, you know, th- this idea of busyness is overwhelming you, that, that your whole life is simply listless, like you don't know really what to do. They would love to pray with you about that. Uh, because, you know, sometimes you just got to learn how to set these things aside. Did you get that thing? Like six days of work, I'm like, oh, I'm back. Because this is the idea, again, of understanding a God who is that good to us, who has given us rest, help us to understand that rest more and more and more. Uh, there's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us, giving us to be part of our worship. So you have that opportunity uh, every single week. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what he's done. And we are so amazing to you. We love you so much because the grace of God has come down on Easter that we have some peeps in the back. We have given you some sugar-covered sugar. He is risen! <laughs> anyway, uh, you grab a peep uh, if, if you're so inclined, and then you'll have that with you all day. Um, Maybe meet some other people, uh, you know, or maybe with, just with your family or, or join a gospel community and talk about this idea of work and rest this week. I mean, I think it's really good for sometimes for families to sit down with each other and talk about what work and rest looks like and how in that rest you could actually build each other up in that rest with each other. You know, because sometimes when you have rest and, and you're home, you only take a day off, you know, it's, it's all about simply vegging out rather than enjoying the gifts that God has given us. And so I think some of the best things you can do even as a family is ask these questions. You know, how do we work and rest and have rhythm even in our own family and then, you know, with our friendships around us and then in our jobs and in our neighborhoods and everything because the gospel translates into every part of our lives practically because our God is that good. Live in rhythm. Resurrection. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as a people would be those who understand what it means to truly find our rest first and foremost in you. We find our worth and value in you as our great God that we trust you more than we trust ourselves. And so we can let go. Father, I pray for the people in this room who have so many burdens in their lives that they feel so overwhelmed and listless all the time that the relationships have begun to suffer. And the relationship with you has begun to suffer that you would reinforce in their hearts the idea that you have come 
to remove that burden from us and lay upon us grace and hope and calling and new life. Because what matters is you. And that relationship first, understanding that lived out, will transform all the relationships we have in our lives with everybody else. Have us understand deeply the peace that you have given us. Have us live and walk in ways that honor you as we learn how to properly work and rest and Sabbath and understand the greatness of the resurrection. We thank you for loving us in more ways than we can possibly know. So, teach us to rest well. Teach us to work well. Teach us to love you since you have first loved us. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.